Hi, folks. This is Andrew Stelzer. If you get our program through iTunes, please go there and rate us so that other people can find the show. And if you're on our website, radioproject.org, please click on the donate button so that you can support this work and help us keep making great shows like this one. All right. Thanks. Here's the show. This week on Making Contact... We are one Earth family. But capitalism and corporate capitalism in particular would like to see everything as a commodity. A commodity is for trade and profits. Communities sustain life. It's starting to feel that you are going against the grain and you're a renegade if you're collecting seed something that we've done for thousands of years. Women Rising Radio profiles food sovereignty activists from around the globe. Vandana Shiva is a noted author and environmental activist who started Navdanya, a network of seed savers and organic farmers across India. Arilita San Vicente Tello, a Mexican agronomist, directs the Seeds of Life Foundation to defend indigenous Mexican food. Native American Sage Lapina is an ethnobotanist who uses food as medicine. And Native American youth educator Canyon Sayers Roods speaks out against a corporate takeover of agriculture. I'm Sandina Robbins, your host. This week's program was produced by Women Rising Radio. Vandana Shiva inherited a love of nature and farming from her parents. She recalls a magical childhood growing up in northern India. Trekking in the mountains, something I continued to do later as an activist, but it was my walks with my father who had to travel to inspect the forests. And we'd walk 30 miles a day, 40 miles a day. And the intimacy that that brings you the knowledge of biodiversity that that brings you. And my mom was a farmer by choice. From her community, she was the highest educated woman. And she came back and she said, I've done everything. I've crossed every ceiling for a woman. I've gone to degrees which women didn't get. I've got official jobs that women didn't get. Now I want to do what I really want to do, which is farm. And she started farm. She lived in tents for years setting up the farm with tigers and elephants roaming around the tents. I chose physics under the influence of reading books on Einstein, but I had, meantime, got involved in the Chipko movement, which is the movement women in my region started to stop the logging saying they would hug the trees and they would have to be chopped down before the tree was chopped down. The movement worked successfully, but long, 10 years, and I had made a commitment every year. My holidays would be for Chipko and the mountains and the forests where I had grown up. We stopped the logging, but through Chipko, I had learned a lot about ecosystems, their connection, people's dependence. 84, we had the Bhopal disaster and the Punjab extremism. 
between the two tragedies, 60,000 people died. That's 12 9-11s. That's the day I said, I must understand why agriculture is the way it is. Why is it so violent? Why do we need pesticides that kill people in Bhopal? Why do farmers have to take to guns? So I did a study for the United Nations. The book was called Violence of the Green Revolution. And then in 87, because of that book, I was invited to a meeting on the new biotechnologies where the industry laid out its plan. We're going to do genetic engineering in order to claim patents on life, and we're going to have these laws worldwide, which became the World Trade Organization rules. 87, this meeting on laws of life, which was on the new biotechnologies, is the day I decided. I would save seeds, I would promote organic agriculture, and I would analyze every claim of free trade, intellectual property, and genetic engineering. And I've had a busy time doing it. <laughs> what Vandana Shiva calls the violence of agriculture has increased since 1995 with the founding of the World Trade Organization. Multinational corporations stepped up their production of genetically modified seeds, pushing small farmers to buy GMO seeds and pesticides that are both costly and toxic. Since 1995, over 300,000 Indian farmers took their own lives when those GMO seeds and toxic chemicals failed and left them bankrupt. A South Korean farmer brought worldwide attention to this crisis facing small farmers when he killed himself at a World Trade Organization protest. He was wearing a sign that read, WTO kills farmers. Responding to this crisis, Vandana Shiva created Navdanya, an organic farm movement in India and an international network of grassroots resistance. Navdanya started as an idea and a practice in 1987 when I decided saving seeds was the one way to respond to patents on seed and genetically modified seeds and defend the freedom of the seed and the freedom of the farmers. It has set up the largest network of organic producers who directly sell what they produce. We have a teaching center in Dehradun, the Earth University, a learning center on learning how to be part of the Earth community. We do research, we do advocacy, and now, over the last two years, we've had to build a global movement because the industry which first claimed it would own life through patenting is now trying to criminalize seed saving. So we've started a seed freedom movement globally. Navdanya has its own huge movement on artisanal processing and production of healthy food through women, and we call it Mahila and Swaraj, which means food sovereignty in women's hands. And this is both for women's employment and empowerment, but also to protect an alternative that's healthy in the face of the junk food industry, which is spreading so fast in India. The love of women's hands, the intelligence of women's hands, producing better and more food than the junk food industry ever, ever can. This is the model we are going to grow till the Pepsis and the Nestles have to shut down. The Obama administration vigorously supported passage of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, despite fierce opposition from millions of farmers, labor unions, and environmentalists worldwide. The Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement was written to favor huge multinationals like Dow, DuPont, Monsanto, and Cargill. Critics say the TPP will also increase dependency on fossil fuel producers and lead to even worse climate disasters. I wrote a book 
called Soil Not Oil, which made the connections between what we do in agriculture and what happens to the climate. The data is very clear, 40% of all greenhouse gases come from industrial agriculture. Emissions of carbon dioxide, emissions of nitrogen oxide, emissions of methane from the factory farms, and the food waste, half of the food in industrial agriculture is thrown away. Never happened in human society before. The collective burden on the climate is 40%. Yet we can absorb large amounts of the carbon dioxide through doing organic farming. So while industrial agriculture is the single biggest contributor to climate instability, ecological agriculture and organic farming is the single biggest solution. And that's one reason why we need to join the discussions and movements for climate change with the discussions and movements for an ecological agriculture. The idea that without fossil fuels we can't survive, the idea that without fossil fuels we won't have food, the idea that without chemicals we won't have food. The big giants of our time are making human beings disposable. We have to make these giants dispensable by creating alternatives that serve the earth and human welfare better. That means bypassing these giants. We need a planetary bypass surgery. And that planetary bypass surgery is localization, ecological agriculture, and renewable energies. Visit womenrisingradio.com to view a video on these issues with Dr. Vandana Shiva. Nikakuri nakanyu nakunyu Like India, Mexico has been devastated by global trade policies that favor the interests of corporate agribusiness. Since the mid-90s, the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, allowed U.S. corn to flood into Mexico, generating big profits for large producers. Millions of Mexican farmers were displaced from working on communal lands known as ejidos, which traditionally fed the country. Mexico has since become a net importer of corn. For Adelita San Vicente Tello, a Mexican agronomist and food sovereignty activist, the loss of small farms in Mexico is a direct attack on Mexican culture and traditions. Adelita directs the Seeds of Life Foundation, working to defend access to healthy food in Mexico and to protect Mexican seeds, especially the native corn species. I am a city woman, but I study agronomist because I love the plants. Also, I love uh, the people of the country many indigenous people that live in very bad conditions, but they live uh, 
very near to the land, to the plants, to nature. When you came uh, in the country in Mexico, in Oaxaca, in the south, you can come a very poor house, but always there wa uh, have a tortilla caliente for you. They have a plate of beans for you. Always the houses are open. And this is a, a very different way of live the way that we live in the cities. NAFTA and the, the trade conditions have made these people so poor. It's very, very, very sad because with the NAFTA we lost the people, we lost a culture, no? a very, very important culture. All the violence in Mexico, we think it's a product of this model, this system. Mexico with Mesoamerica, that means uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, it's considered one of the centers of the origin of agriculture. In Mesoamerica, the agriculture begins with the corn. That made a very special relationship between the maize and us. Many Mexican anthropologists said that we made the maize and the maize made us. Mexico, each time that they grow the corn, the maize, they select and improve the corn. Each time they adapt the better seeds to the specific conditions. Mexico, Mesoamerica is the center of the origin and diversity of the corn. The agriculture beginning with a seed. Seeds are oh, magical. We went to uh, school and the kids have a garden, tomatoes, squash. A little girl told me, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And we put the seed and then there's a miracle, a miracle, a miracle. <laughs> and I think the seeds are a miracle because when we see the little seed and the seed beginning to make a plant, uh, it's incredible. And just in the last century and this century, the capital wants to close the seeds and make the seeds a mercancy. That's really, really, really bad for all humanity. More than half a million Mexicans petitioned for a ban on GMO seeds. Arelita joined them as a lead organizer for Sin Maíz No Hay País, Without Corn There Is No Country. Mexican courts have since banned GMO corn and soya planting, but chemical giants, including Monsanto, have challenged these legal rulings close to 90 times. The annual Global March Against Monsanto aims to outlaw Monsanto's products like GMO corn and the pesticide Roundup, which has been linked to cancer and other illnesses. Monsanto wants to contaminate Mexico because it's a center of origin of the corn, and Monsanto wants to steal the corn because the corn is now maybe the most important cereal in the world. You're listening to Making Contact. This week's program is produced by Women Rising Radio. 
visit us online at womenrisingradio.com. You can also find us at radioproject.org. Sage Lapina is a Native American clinical herbalist, ethnobotanist, and teacher, and a gardener specializing in both Native American and Western herbal traditions. She is also active in preserving Native American culture and heritage. Vandana Shiva and Adelita Teo speak about the bond between food and culture. Sage Lapina experienced the destruction of that bond firsthand, growing up under a tacit ban on her own Native American culture in the United States, a ban rooted in racism. One of the things that happened to me when I was in junior high is someone brought puppies to class, and I was asked to go to the bathroom and wash my hands, and I was not allowed to touch the puppies because my hands were not clean enough to touch her dogs. And so through that, I learned about hate. I come from a family where my father was a product of the boarding school, where he was taken from his mother. After my father and his siblings were taken from my grandmother, my father didn't really see his mother anymore, and she died at a very young age of pneumonia. She was heartbroken. Her husband had been killed, and she had all of her children taken away. When I was seven, eight years old, one of the people I was brought to was a Pomo Wintoon woman by the name of Mabel McKay. And I was instructed to spend time with her. We would help her gather plant medicine, and she's also a weaver. And she would constantly just tell me about what I was seeing. We would do harvesting. She would, would tell me why do certain plants live together, who interacts with who, why they do those things. And then as I grew, I didn't understand that I was being groomed or taught to be anything. It wasn't until I worked at a California native plant nursery in my 20s that someone told me I was an herbalist and I had been trained to be one. I didn't know what that meant because it was just something we do. It didn't have a name. I didn't know what mosaics were, bioregions, and people would say, how do you know all those plants live together? And I said, because I grew up living with them. They are people just as much as we are. Their legs move a lot slower, and they move down, but they still move out. After her apprenticeship with Mabel McKay, Sage earned university degrees in both ornamental horticulture and medicinal herbalism. Having mastered two cultural traditions, Sage now practices clinical herbal medicine. As part of the National Bioneers Conference, Sage helped teach a seminar on harvesting elderberries and preparing them as medicine. Elder is a magnificent. She gives us her flowers for fever and wonderful emollient for skin creams and so forth, and then also the elderberry for immunological purposes, for bronchitis, for influenza, and now has since been proven through research to shorten the duration of influenza virus. And if we look at how the 
berries themselves grow at the ends, just like the alveoli inside your lungs, you know, all those little tiny pockets that hold that medicine, those little tiny berries at the ends of that umbel, you can see inverted, it's just like your lung tissue inside where you have the large stem, your bronchial stem that goes smaller and smaller into capillaries and then ends in those air sacs. And that is exactly what that medicine is for. Elderberry grows freely. We can gather elderberry freely. And then there is federal regulation on any botanical medicine. And then there is also regulation in terms of patenting. I mean, bare aspirin patented aspirin, which is, you know, salicylic acid for 100 years. And it was just recently that the 100 years has passed. We hope that they do not isolate elderberry and find what the constituent is or we're in trouble. We did the same thing with so many of our plant medicines. Echinacea polita was one of them. The purple cone flower, there was a white one that grew and we harvested it to extinction. Then it was recreated in the laboratory setting. So they said, oh, we found this so we can patent this and sell it as an ornamental crop and so forth. But it's something that already existed and now they say they own it. Well, you made it extinct, you overharvested it, and now you're saying you created it? You know, all of these plants were given to us by Mother Earth as all of them being holy and sacred medicines given to us as gifts for our own existence and to help each other. We abuse our plant allies in the name of economic venture and all of us suffer because of it. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, would criminalize farmers who save and exchange seeds. It would also allow transnational corporations to patent whole plants as their own intellectual property. Seed saving is absolutely vital and important. There were pottery found in the middle of the desert that were considered to be from the Anasazi people. There were beans in jars that were still viable hundreds of years later that had been found. If that were to happen and they were Monsanto seeds, we could do nothing with them. The seeds that come from the plants themselves are sterile. We will take our own selves out if we allow this to happen. So seed saving for genetic diversity, seed saving for crops that can be grown through fire, be grown through freezing. These different types of seed stratification is absolutely vital to our existence. Sage Lapina urges people to resist the corporate takeover of agriculture by growing their own food. Previous to the introduction of lawns in America, your village where you lived, your medicines were all around you. And medicine that didn't grow right in the village was brought to the village to grow. I just want to remind people that they have the knowledge and to utilize their rights to take out their lawn and grow food. And you can grow grass, grow your California native fescues if you're in California, nacella, grow muhlenbergia, grow grasses. Most of them have edible seed. They're drought tolerant. Our water table is lowered. 
We can grow complete xeriscape and edible landscapes. We don't have to have only irrigated lawns and perfect square green things in front of our house. We all have a responsibility to take care of our own food by participating in it. That's a song by Canyon Sayers Roots, a native California Indian and youth educator, artist, and activist. Canyon joined Sage Lapina at the Bioneers Conference, teaching how to gather and prepare acorns. She reflects on her traditional Native American upbringing and her relationship with the earth. I grew up surrounded by nature. I knew the whole life cycle, and I was even breeding tree frogs before I knew what breeding meant. And I got to hold a monarch butterfly coming out of its cocoon and pet its wings before they had dried so I wasn't damaging it, and it was softer than silk. And I did this as a young kid, and some people go their entire lives not being able to experience that. And I carry a lot of knowledge when it comes to culture, also being aware of who I am. It, it's almost like walking in two different worlds as a 21st century being living in America, and then also being a native individual who connects with the land and Mother Earth and nature that surrounds me, and also living a spiritual life. It doesn't always go hand in hand with today's American colonial settler mentality. So it's between these worlds is a fun walk to walk. When I observe colonization, it's like the settler colonial mentality is having an entitled attitude of they're deserving of their surroundings and also exploitive when it comes to the Americas or Turtle Island. Indigenous peoples had colonizers come through and look at them as subhuman. So it was easier for the colonizers to devalue, degrade, and dehumanize indigenous peoples. So when someone sees an indigenous culture that strives with something that Mother Earth has gifted them, and they see that this medicine or this entity can do greatness, they want to capitalize on it. Today's Americentric capitalism is very negative because I know the origin of capitalism was meant to do the greater good in offering competition and betterment of the whole, but today's Americentric capitalism is very exploitive and monopolizing. And so when a group of people see something that they can exploit, they band together, exploit it, either turn it into a monopoly and not make it available, or they just take what's convenient, they cherry pick. And it makes me sad because it's happening in every arena. It's even happening in cannabis because they're not using the rest of the plant. They're just exploiting the female flowers. There's so much that could be done with other cannabis when it comes to hemp, when it comes to oils, when it comes to everything. But because it's marketable, because the flowers turn the highest profit and it's too much work in the eyes of anyone who seems to want to have that quick turnaround of an investment, they don't care about what else it has to offer, let alone what's going into it. They want to feed it really disgusting products to make it bigger, bulkier, faster growing, and they don't think about quantity versus quality. And 
it's frustrating because people don't value life as sacred. So when people are absent of the sacred, everything is not right. It's not aligned. That's it for this Women's Desk edition of Making Contact. This program was produced by Women Rising Radio. Visit us at womenrisingradio.com and at radioproject.org. Special thanks to Bioneers and to Elsa Guerra. Music by Canyon Sears Roods, the Drupad Sisters, Kaushiki Chakravarti, and Leela Downs. Our audio engineer is Stephanie Welch, producer Lynn Feinerman, and I'm your host, Sandina Robbins. Thanks for listening. Volve al ref-